0: hello and welcome to another episode of black woman be well if this is your first time tuning in my name is jennifer tomlinson and i am the host of black woman be well and this is part two or day two of the hashtag scholarstrike campaign that's happening in the world and like i said in part one of hashtag Scholar strike um we're not in the studio uh my not surrounded with by my wonderful interns who i miss dearly i am recording this in my home on my iphone (laughs) um and honestly i'm doing this in response to this strike um because it was it's just so timely so thank you for tuning in if this is your first time engaging with us you don't have to stop to go listen to part one first um, I'm just kind of picking up from today's thoughts. Uh, so feel free to hop over to any major podcasting platform or YouTube to listen to part one of hashtag scholar strike. So like I mentioned in part one, hashtag scholar strike is a national strike campaign happening in, um, our universities and colleges across the nation. It was a, campaign started by, um, a professor from the university of Pennsylvania. And I work at a institution in central Florida. It's a community college it's kind of well-known <laughs> might've heard of it, Valencia college. Um, and like I said, in the other episode, I've, uh, you know, I've been here for a long time and we were actually, um, kind of given the blessing or the sponsorship from the institution, um, to, to participate in this strike and so for the last two days some of the employees have paused business as usual Uh, some of us have attempted to um you know pause our normal duties in order to create some disruption in the effort to raise awareness for racial injustice Um, and so the last two days today and yesterday um I have been participating in activities centered around um social justice, uh, racial justice conversations and equity. And today today was kind of rough. Today was rough. I woke up exhausted. Um Yeah, today was a rough day. I woke up exhausted from yesterday, Um, and I I shared this before, you know, yesterday I started so energetic and then by an hour into the day, I was already emotionally kind of withered. And today was rough, Um, and today's activities, organized activities through Valencia, because there are activities you can participate in all of the universities virtually, nationwide, the ones that are participating in the strike, Um, but the Valencia College organized activities started with, um, both days started with a talk from the Valencia African Heritage Committee, where members of the committee had an opportunity to share what it feels like, or they just share their not even their feelings, the experience, the black experience working at our institution. And although we are doing great things, and we're making great strides, we have a lot of work still to do. And so today, um, I was asked ahead of time, to speak, um, well, to share about a time I faced racial injustice at the institution and I declined to speak. And, um, honestly, the only reason why I did was the two pivotal examples that popped out of my head. One, I have not confronted the person, um, and I haven't healed that up yet. So it didn't feel right to talk about it without me doing some work with the person first. Um, that felt messy. And then the second one that happened, it happened in a particular space where we're supposed to honor, honor the room. And I'm not going to go into details, but I just, I'll just leave it at, it was a space that was, uh, cultivated around confidentiality. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable talking about that because I wanted, I still respect the space at the time. And so I just didn't want to talk on those things. Um, And so i declined you know and also i was really interested in just participating you know i speak a lot and um i i was really excited to see other voices amplified in this um in during this strike at our institution and um that's probably why i was so exhausted yesterday because i heard so many other black women sharing stories that were similar to what sentiments that I might've felt and things that I knew were real. So, (laughs) and I'm an empath. So I immediately feel what people feel. So I was, that's why one of the reasons why I was so drained yesterday. And also sharing of stories for me is so risky and it's so, um, it's something I don't do easily. It takes a lot of work um, for me to, 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 to do that. And so I just wasn't in the space to go through all of that you know inner all that inner work to 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 share i just wasn't in that space um but today uh i was kind of asked impromptu if i could still share based on the video i posted yesterday um, about um, my experiences on day one and um, i said sure you know obviously my brother in solidarity rudy who's a big supporter of black female voices specifically says you're he said to me like your, your voice needs to be here. You need to say something. And I'm not going to ever not, you know, do a solid for my homie if I have the capacity to. And in that moment, I said, sure, I can. There wasn't really anything other than being exhausted there wasn't anything holding me back. And I actually had, I don't know, God was talking to me or something. Cause I'm listening to Rudy talk. I'm listening to my colleagues share. And I just started getting like my brain was overthinking and over processing. I was just getting like just thoughts coming out of my head. And um the first thing, you know, that I wanted to share was just it it was important for me to say that because I noticed when I'm scrolling through the zoom faces, it's the same people, people that are already doing the work. Most of the people that showed up today and yesterday are the same people. And that was a little hard, hard to, to, to notice, you know, and that's, I think that demonstrates the work that we still have to do as an institution, the people that needed to be there, weren't there. Um, not to say that I know who needs to be there. It's just, I know that we're a huge institution, you know, more than 200 people could have been there anyways. So I'm looking, I'm like, it's all the same people. And then I'm starting, I start seeing some white faces that I don't usually see in these spaces. And so we invited them and here they are. And I'm noticing, and they're they're you know, it's hard to pick up on interpersonal cues in zoom. But I'm looking, I'm seeing head nods and I'm like, wow, you know, they're, they're listening and the stories that are being shared, I mean, people were talking with passion, emotion, our black employees were talking out of anger. And some of the stories were just crazy. It it was just like, that happened to you here? Like that kind of reaction. So I'm watching these, these white potential allies and I'm like, man, um, I, I need to let them know how to listen to this. So, boom, first thought. White people tend to want to connect with um, black and brown stories by first connecting personally. And I think that's important. Um, that, that shows there's a the potential to find a human connection. You know, there's a metaphor of the mirror where you see yourself in the person and it helps you to connect. Um, and so I think you personalize somebody else's story. Um, and that oftentimes happens through this process. I think it's good; it's a good process, but it can't be the only process. If you don't also you access your heart, but if you don't also access your mind, you will leave with a bunch of stories in a, in, a, in your in you know in a proverbial basket, um, a lot of emotions, and you don't know what to do with it. So the first thing I wanted to share, and it was so clear to me in that moment. teach people that when you hear the first of all the fact that we have to keep saying these stories over and over again are traumatic and it is exhausting i had to let the space know i am tired all right not everybody is built the same some people can just share their stories in their open book and you know i'm not that person i'm i get exhausted sharing and hearing stories all right so i needed to make that clear this is helping you guys, but you have to understand the emotional, um, the emotional, what's the word I'm looking for? Expenditure, it's not the word I really want, but it's a, It's exhausting. It's, it, we lose bits of ourselves every time we continually have to relive these stories to help you. Um, so when you hear us share, you might hear us speak with animation, with anger, with passion, with emotion, and it could be a turnoff. It could make you uncomfortable because you don't, maybe you don't, you, you don't know how to receive all of that. So I just needed to make that clear though, that don't, don't shy away from the discomfort, just know where it's coming from. We're probably tired. It's probably the 10th time we've had to justify to people or prove to people that black and brown people face racism. The fact that we even have to have a constant justification or not justification, a constant proof. We have to constantly prove that racism still exists. It's exhausting. And we have to share our personal tragedy, relive our tragedy to share with you so you can get get the hint because all these years you've lived behind the veil. It's exhausting. And I say that to tell people that when you hear stories then, it's good to connect with me, but I also need you to put your mind on and understand, why am I listening to this story? Be very intentional about the stories you're receiving, because all of this is to help you be an advocate for us or an ally for us. If you can hear my story or our stories enough that you can re-articulate it in spaces that I do not have access to, or when we're in meetings, the black and brown people aren't the only ones speaking you also have context to speak to, to speak to it too. Then that helps the cause. So when you're listening, it's okay to cry. White tears occupy a lot of space in these areas. So, you know, that's a, that's a, I'll do a whole nother episode. I, I've said this before. I keep promising that I'll talk about white tears in another episode, but, um, it's okay. So, so it's a, I say that to say it's okay to be emotional, but that's not, that's not why the only reason why you're there. Please listen with intent. Do you know our stories enough that you can um speak within context? And will it help shape the way that you create relationships and in education? You know, this is this all of this is, is because of education within this industry. Will it shape your curriculum? You know? Um, I didn't take this long to explain that this morning, but <laughs> I, I guess I'm just getting fired up again now. Um, but that was important for me to stay in the moment. So I was kind of glad that Rudy was like, you should say something. <laughs> cause I felt like that's something someone, cause sometimes I, f- I feel like white people come to these spaces. They don't know what to do with it. Like, you know, well, here's what you can do. Listen, but listen with purpose. You have a plan now to so listen with the intent to, to take actions or to have these stories inform your decision-making and your, and in education, the way you treat your job. The second thing that I ended up talking about was, um, it was in reference to what I said yesterday in the previous episode about just being like loving, you know, my side of town. And, you know, the whole thing about my colleague saying that a student told her, a professor referred to a campus as the ghetto campus. And, you know, so I did all, I did that video, but while I'm in the moment this morning, I'm sitting there and I'm like, boom, just, (laughs) I'm making all these connections because something that happens a lot within our institution. And if I was a guessing girl, I would assume this happens also in K through 12 systems and any college system that has more than one campus. We use the word campus culture. So it's very easy for us to say, well, our 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 culture on this campus is different from the culture on that campus. And in the moment, it, it was very clear to me to say, you have to stop using that word culture because you're using it to what you're really saying when you, when we say we do things different on this campus because we have a different culture. What I've noticed is what we're really talking about is this is the, these are the systems we've designed and the way we like to do things. And we don't want to change the way we do things. It's not about actual culture. Culture is about people. What does the culture look like based on the students we serve on that campus? Define culture and, and, it is, and culture is about people. It's not about systems and policies and we do it this way. We oftentimes will make an argument to protect campus cultures because we don't wanna change the way we do things. That's not culture. And it certainly doesn't speak to the campus because if, if the campus is only talking about faculty, staff and policy, that's not, that's a very limited mindset. And I said all of that to remind people that there is a culture in the area that you serve. Do you know it? <laughs> Who are these people you're supposed to serve? And I reiterated some of those same thoughts and comments I mentioned in the, in the first part of this video in part one, um, in this podcast episode, um, you know, that. It's so easy to come, you know, driving from your suburban home an hour away, come on campus and tell people what they need. Um, it's easy to do that, but it's also arrogant. It's very arrogant and it's elitist. And education can in times be a form of elitism. To, to, it can perpetuate elitism. Who are you to tell these people in this community, it's a community college, who are you to tell them this is what you need to do? Why not ask, what do you need and how might I support your need and the path and help create pathways to your purpose? That to me sounds like culture and community. So that happened this morning and after that was another two hour um, call. And I'm sorry if this podcast episode is just stream of consciousness. Uh, I'm so not used to this format (laughs) Um, for those that have listened to the show from the beginning, you know, we always interview a guest. I'm not used to just talking to you all, not in front of me or not in front of, and not not talking in front of somebody. I usually have an outline and I don't have anything. I'm really just using this as a diary to share this experience. Um, so all all of this happens and, (sighs) I I get off the Zoom call and y'all, I'm like, I'm drained. I'm, I had all of these, I was so ambitious too, because you're, the purpose of the strike is to craft activities and things to fill up your day all towards learning and growing or even action stuff, taking part in things, um, towards social and racial justice work. I had all this stuff planned. I was supposed to read all these. I had two articles. I wanted to finish this book or start a book. Um, uh, do some work, uh, some uh, on a diversity program that I'm a part of, and I, <laughs> I couldn't do anything after that call. I went outside to check on my banana tree. <laughs> I drank a cup of coffee, like, all right, girl, get it together so you can start work, and I, I had to, I just, I weeped. I cried, and I have people texting me. Um, based on the things that they heard that I said in the the meeting, you know, and so I'm also still facilitating these, um, these dialogues through text and I'm just crying and I always do that. Not out of complete sadness. I think it's, I've done this as a child. Whenever I just feel an overwhelm, I don't know any other word to use besides overwhelming. It's an overwhelming feeling. And as an adult, now I'm realizing it's the impact problem. That I can feel and connect with people, but when I when I just absorb so much, and you just feel everything all at once. <laughs> I mean, I felt all the feelings at once, and I just started crying. Uh, um, and I, I did that for a while, <laughs> and then it's one of those like childhood cries where you like fall asleep after. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anybody used to get spankings as a child, but. The nap you took after you got a spanking that's that's what happened to me And I don't fall asleep on coffee, so the fact that i I was knocked out was was very telling. So I fell asleep for about fifteen minutes and um I was just so kind of um plastered to the bed. I couldn't move. Um, my brain was getting it's just foggy because it's too much it's my brain kind of like just over analyzes everything all that you know and I'm making hyper connections to everything Um, and they're all all of the hyper connections are connected to feelings and thoughts I know this is really abstract this is probably y'all are probably listening like what the heck is she talking about but I don't I don't really know how to describe it it's just So much going on in my brain that's also affecting how I feel that I like it's like an overload and I can't do anything. I can't process anything because I'm just thinking about everything. Um, So I call my dad. Um, My dad in New York, I have two dads. I have, well, you know, stepdad, biological dad, but my dad in New York, they're both dad. I don't call them stepdad or biological dad. for clarity, for the podcast, I call my dad in New York, <laughs> and um, I just call him to say thank you, um, and we just start talking. And I mean, when I say <sighs> he was dropping some Jamaican gems on me, I'm telling you, it was a blessing. <laughs> it really was because I wasn't I wasn't thinking that I was gonna I was gonna receive. Um, clarity in that conversation. It was, it was an unrelated conversation, had nothing to do with work, nothing to do with the strike, nothing to do with anything. Um, and we ended up talking about some of the stuff, like he asked me how my job was and, you know, and here's something he made me think about another connection that I made today. So I talk about. In the session, I talk about, you know, knowing, knowing your community and how hubris is, how hubris it is for you to come in and tell people, you know, what they need and that this is the right way to do it. You know, the arrogance and that. And I'm talking to this man and I'm thinking about W.E.B. Du Bois and his concept of the double conscience. If you've never read Soul of Black Folks, read it. Um, and I'm talking to my dad about, you know, I don't know how we got on this at all. I can't remember right now, but he had said something really poignant. And I was like, oh, I think it was telling me about like, he was talking about some of, you know, growing up in Jamaica and some of the, um, you know, the black people that make it and how they end up doing like more harm to the community than actually helping them. And I, and, and made me think about, right. The double consciousness. So. It made me think about the concept of the double conscious consciousness, because Du Bois talks about how you tend to, when you're Black in America, you tend to walk around in the world understanding these two, you live with these two consciousness. You live um, seeing yourself as a Black person and then also knowing that others are seeing you as, um, in a way. Um, and then there's this other layer of being a Negro. Well, that's the word he uses, being a Negro, but also wanting to be American. In college, I would refer to this a lot as dual identities, and he's mostly criticized by his contemporaries and even now, like contemporaries, from his suggestions about assimilation, right? And Marcus Garvey is his greatest critic, like they hate each other. Uh, And that's one of the hangups was that. The boy really believed in here, like, here are the things that work for me and work for us will work in America. You need to do these things this way. And a lot of people could look at that as anti-black. Oh, so here I am having these reflective thoughts as a black woman. Who, for whatever, well, you know, Jamaican women instilling in me that education is key and this is how you do it and I succeed in the structure okay I figured it out this is why college is amazing because this it worked for me and it can work for you if you do it this way (laughs) recognizing now obviously that is my form of assimilation assimilation and (laughs) what So I'm I'm thinking here, like, what kind of harm could I have possibly done in my early years in education? And, And I don't know what my language was at the time. I don't remember what I would have said to a student, you know, that you should do it this way. This is the right way. If you don't do it this way, it's the wrong way. At the time, not realizing that education is centered in whiteness it, it it is a structured centered in whiteness had i had, had no idea and so when i tell a black child that you should do education this way this white centered way and if you can't do it this way then you need to figure it out i don't know what potential harm i could have done Cause a lot of us are assimilating, And here's a kicker. The thought I'm having today is you can't tell someone not to assimilate. It's not, it's not black or white. It's gray. It's I need to teach these students how to assimilate. Cause at the end of the day, I need you to eat. <laughs> I need you to be able to um, create structures. I need you to have access to things like money and a job. So I need to teach you how to assimilate, how to assimilate but how am I framing it? Am I at least being very intentional with teaching you the truth? Am I helping at least pull back the veil? Here's how our society works, here are the institutions that exist, and here's historically how you're seen in these institutions. Am I at least teaching that? And then saying, this is how you assimilate to be successful in these institutions but the goal is not to just assimilate and stay. I I don't want to teach you that this is perfect because that's not the point. Let me create some more context. Let me give an example. So if I teach African-American or any humanities course and I say, um, the best way to be respected is to learn how to do research and go through this, you know, the whole peer review process and be published in an article. I'm going to teach you the tricks in the trade that white publishers like to validate your academics. Cause that's what happens in academia. You have to present at conferences. You have to write your paper in a particular way, particular way. You have to be published in particular publications that are recognized in in the academic circles as legitimate. Let me teach you how to do it in a way that you can um, operate in that system so that you can assimilate. And here are some tricks so that people don't think you're black. It sounds terrible, but that's essentially what we're doing. But how am I framing it? Am I at least saying, I'm helping you to do this so, you could get your foot in the door so you can then tear it down. <laughs> I don't know what I did in the beginning. We were all, we you know, everybody knows that when you're a first time educator, you're just doing what you're teaching the way you teach, you were taught. You're working the way you've seen others in the industry work. And so, I just mimicked all of the people I respected in my discipline. They all happened to be white and male <laughs> and female. There's a lot of females in liberal studies philosophy and humanities programs, um, white females. Let me give you another example. So um, I also, what I teach full-time is a first year experience course. Uh, it's called New Student Experience. You might hear other names for diff- similar courses, other places. Um, but ours is, is quite unique. We, we don't do, <laughs> Valencia you're always trying to do something different. Our course is very unique. It is a gen ed course. We teach interpersonal communication in the course, but threaded within the course, we also teach, um, uh, we, we help students get all of the advice they would need to be successful within the Valencia culture and hopefully also be successful in their whole entire educational plan or pathway. So career exploration, academic planning, financial planning. We talk about purpose. We talk about a strengths-based concept and recognizing strengths. So, you know, it's, it's all uh, personal and professional development stuff. So, so you can imagine in that class, right? A lot of time is spent on here's how you get a job. Here's how you get accepted to a transfer college after Valencia. Here's how you write a resume. Here's how you conduct an interview. Here's how you write an email to your faculty. And it's all all academic and professional cultures that are centered on whiteness, right? Let me teach you how to get into a space you probably wouldn't normally get access to. And So for my white students, that makes sense to them. Most of my classes are filled with a plethora of types of students. So a lot of it is brand new, like, wait, what? (laughs) So in that course, right, here's how you assimilate. But do I teach it in a way of no one taught you how to do that? This is why you guys fail or why you can't get it right. Or am I being very purposeful to say here here's here's a here's a culture within that industry that these are the things you have to do to get in it. But I don't believe in them and I and here's why. <laughs> That theme of assimilation was strong with me today. It made me think about my assimilation, what I've done. It's made me think about the times I've been an elitist within academia. Um, and more importantly, it's made me think about how I engage with students. My dad said I should talk to my students and ask them if I've done any harm. A part of me is a little hopeful that I wouldn't have been that dumb. But I, that's my next step. I really want to gain some feedback um, to make sure that I've always framed it in that way, because I think that's important. Yeah. And it's just that's been a theme today. And I hope that that's something that with doing this podcast episode, because I know that I have a fan base of all types, um, white, black, all ethnicities. Um, and genders that listen to the show. I don't know if this helps you think about your own pedagogy or the way you provide support services to students. But, you know, are we, (laughs) I guess the real theme is, do you know the people you're supposed to serve? Do you know what they actually need? And two, as we give them tools and tips to navigate these structures, are we also very intentional about teaching about the racism and classism that exists in these structures. Might be something to chew on. The interesting thing is this is it. The strike is over. I don't know if at this moment I feel any significant difference. (laughs) I don't know if this has had any impact. I can't tell. I think that obviously doing this virtually, remotely due to COVID, we lose the impact of having 200 faculty and staff kind of come together on a campus and have a physical presence and maybe a vocal presence um, if it's outside with like speakers and stuff. So we don't have that in this virtual space. Um, And I don't know that. Uh, a collection of faculty and staff out of, what, 6,000 employees actually disrupted service, you know, so I don't feel, I feel like I'm going to go to work tomorrow, like nothing happened. Um, But it'll be interesting to see uh, the feedback from our peers. Maybe some official communication from leadership would be good to give us a sense of if this helped in any kind of way, um, or if any of this, cause we also, the black employees also were very specific about, we need this, this, and you know, um, if anyone responds to those specific requests, I mean, that'll be dope, but <laughs> I just don't know. I am curious for anybody else that participated in the strike on your campus. How did it go? What did you do? What did you learn? If you could share that in the comments, that would be amazing. Um, and obviously this is for the YouTube channel. If you're watching it on YouTube, um, leave a comment. I'd love to hear. If you are listening to this on a podcast platform, you can hop over to YouTube and leave a comment, or you can certainly email us. Um, it's contact at black be well.com. I can leave that in the description of the episode. Um, or you can hop over to our Instagram and DM us there at B be, be Well. That's at the letter B, woman, the letter B, well. And um, I'm going to post a snippet of this episode on the instagram page too so i'd love to hear feedback there if you want to just post a comment under the snippet that'd be dope i would love to just hear what hashtag scholar strike was like at your institution um and you know how it went i just i'd love to hear anything about what's happened nat- nationally so if anybody's listening doing this anywhere let me know well that being said i'm done i don't have any other ramblings for you <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I look forward to this season. I have some great guests line up, lined up, um, and some cool topics, but I just have a feeling with how everything in 2020 is shifting and changing constantly. My outline might just get, you know, overridden by, um, important topics that need to come up that need to be discussed in the moment. But anyways, I'm looking forward to this season with you all. Thank you for listening. And like I always say, this is a a podcast to help amplify Black female voices, but it's not a podcast for Black women only. Please, if you're white, Black, or any ethnicity or gender, if you just want to learn more about the Black female experience, listen. Um, and if you could share this with other people that need to hear the black female experience, please tell them about the show because it's not written in a silo in mind. It's written for everyone. The point of this is that not just for me to just talk to nobody, but to really talk to a diverse group so you can get windows, um, and mirrors into the black female experience. So, yep, I'm done love you guys be safe and i'll see you next time on the next episode of black woman be well see you later bye